Well, good morning, church. Man, some really cool things happening. I'm very excited about the uh, partnering with Never Alone for our food boxes here next Saturday. And yes, on May 18th, we're going to do the worship night um, with however many people that uh, come that evening. And we're going to figure out how to do that in social distancing and all of those things. And we're going to jump into the word in just a minute. Um, and I'm going to continue this little impromptu uh, series we're calling Lessons from Quarantine in just a moment. But first, I want to use kind of my introduction time to get us caught up with what we're doing here at the church in this season. And right off the bat, I've got to ask you for a little bit of grace. Last Monday night, I went live on Facebook and I told you that we were going to come back on Mother's Day, May the 10th. But after kind of a week of prayer, uh, a week of, of being on some meetings with some other pastors and things like that. We are, uh, decided to push that first Sunday back in the room to May the 17th. So we are going to have a soft opening uh, Sunday, May the 17th. And then the very next day, we're going to come in here for a prayer service and a time of worship as well. Um, again, I'm asking for some grace. I know many of you were looking forward to May the 10th and then others of you may be like, well, thank God he got a little bit of wisdom. And you know, there's people on both sides of this thing and we're just doing the best we can uh, because we want to keep you safe and we want to do the right thing. We're actually for our size church. We're one of the first churches uh, to open even at, even on May 17th. And uh, I've been meeting with pastors. I've been doing zoom calls and a lot of the, the pastors are waiting until June or July. Here's what I think about that. And, and everybody has to figure this thing out for themselves. Even when we reopen on the 17th, you will do what's best for you and your family. This is not one size fits all. Somebody say amen. This is just, we're figuring this thing out as we go. We're praying about it. Our goal, church, is not to reopen. Our goal is to please the Lord. Our goal is, is to please the Lord and just be obedient to his voice. And so that's what we're doing. We're going to push it to May the 17th. And um, after that date, on May, I think May the 13th is when the state of emergency actually lifts. So we thought it would be better to come in after that. Uh, so that's what we're doing. Please give me some grace if you were looking forward to that. Um, we're going to do something very special next Sunday for Mother's Day. And it will actually work a little bit better to do that online anyway. And then on the 17th, I'm going to either continue this lessons from quarantine or we'll call it something else. I'm not sure, but I already have in mind what I want to begin on that day. We're taking this very, very seriously. I want you to know that. We care about you, your family, your health, but we also want to be able to begin to get back in the room. And so uh, that week before the 17th, we're going to over-communicate. You're probably going to get tired of my face and hearing my voice and getting emails. We want to make sure there are no questions that week as we head back into this uh, soft reopening. Okay, enough of that. So last week we uh, had a conversation about hope and renewal. Hope and renewal, and more specifically, how to maintain our hope in the midst of adversity and pain. How to maintain, sustain our hope, even when we're going through things. And I'm going to be getting back into that same vein. I couldn't get away from that thought. We're going to kind of go back to that and expand a little bit on that, use some other scripture. But that's what we're going to be, and the title for today is God is 
faithful. God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time already, the worship. Thank you for uh, the the worship team that, that were willing to come today, for the production team that are all here serving today and have been throughout this entire pandemic. Thank you, Jesus for people willing to serve in this time and bless them. Lord, bless our time in the word today. As I pray it almost every week, let your word become alive. Let it become active. Let it become rhema and prophetic in this time in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So we're going to play a little Bible trivia today. Um, the, the, the word we're going to be reading in scripture is pretty heavy. It's pretty raw and pretty difficult. So I thought let's lighten it up just a little bit and have a little fun with it and play some Bible trivia. And what I want you to do is actually respond. Since you're online, you're on Facebook or YouTube, you can actually interact and put in some comments. So that's what I want you to do. I want you to be brave. I don't want you to hold back. I want you to actually respond to the the couple of questions that I'm going to ask and see if you get it right. Okay, be brave, put it out there and have fun with it. I'm going to read our text, but I'm not going to tell you where it's found. And I'm not going to tell you the author. So those, those are the two questions. What book am I reading from and who is the author? And no cheating. No Google cheating. That's, that, that doesn't help anybody. It's not fun. So don't do that. <laughs> now, again, let me warn you, this scripture is heavy. This is very raw. It reads kind of like a Greek tragedy. Um, some of it you may be reading and, and, and as we go through it and be like, man, I can't even believe that's in the Bible. I can't even believe that's in there. But as we go through it, I want you to not just be thinking about the book and, and, and who it is, but thinking about yourself, evaluating yourself. Have you ever felt these emotions before? Be honest. Have you ever felt this way? And just think about where you are right now in your spiritual life. It's heavy, but we are going somewhere good today before we get finished. All right, let's look at this. This is verse one of our mystery book. Okay, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. The rod of the Lord's anger. Now that's judgment, folks. That's judgment. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's talking about God. God has turned his hand against me all day. Have you ever felt that way? Come on, we're being honest today. Have you ever felt like no matter what you did, where you went, what you were trying to do, that God himself was stopping things and keeping you from doing whatever it was that you were trying to do? I think we've all been there, even if we weren't honest enough like this guy to actually say it. But he's like, it's not even a passive thing. He's like, God, this, this, this is a man of God. This is a servant of God. He's like, it's not even passive. God is actively fighting against me. Verse four, the Lord has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. All right, do you have any guesses? We're not done yet, but go ahead and put them in if you know who it is. Verse seven, he has walled me in. And I cannot escape. 
He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. Though I, though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. Man, I know in my life there have been seasons, times that I felt like my prayers hit the ceiling and came right back down. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, where you're praying, you're pouring your heart out, and it just goes boop and back down again. Usually in those seasons, um, I'm basing those feelings that God is not hearing my prayers. I'm basing that feeling on another feeling, not on fact. I'm basing that on another feeling, not on what I know is true about God from his word. Usually uh, during those times, I'm either blaming myself. In other words, I'm not performing well enough for God to answer my prayer. You ever felt that way? Of course you have. I'm not doing well enough in my Christian walk. I'm not reading the Bible enough. I failed too many times for God to even, I know Jesus, but I'm just not living up. He's got to be so disappointed in me that he's not going to answer. He's not going to hear me. He's not going to answer my prayers as if my righteousness were anything. Come on, the word of God declares that our righteousness are as what? Filthy rags. And somehow we can manipulate God with Good behavior? What outlook on God do you have? That's, that's sometimes how I feel, though. Because if I'm with a friend, a human friend, often how I'm treating that person is how they respond to me. Come on, somebody. That's, we're human. That's the way it goes. So we, we, we automatically feel that way about God, and he doesn't hear my prayer because I'm not doing good enough. Or the other reason is I'm looking around me at the circumstances and I lose hope and I lose faith and I feel like my prayers aren't going anywhere. Who is our mystery speaker? He's not finished yet. He's far from finished. Listen to this. Verse 9. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. He is hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. He has dragged me off the path and torn me into pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. Verse 12, he has drawn his bow and made me the target for his arrows. (laughs) My goodness. He shot his arrows deep into my heart. This dude is wounded. He is hurting. It almost reads like a breakup. I mean, he... (laughs) He shot his arrows deep into my... Now, this is, this is poetic, and it's a poem, but my goodness. Verse 14, my own people laugh at me. All day long, they sing their mocking songs. He, he has filled me with the bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. Now, those words, bitter cup, they just, I mean, they jumped off the page to me. They absolutely jumped off the page because those were the exact words of Jesus at the end of his life when he talked to his disciples and he talked to the Lord, his father, in the garden when he was praying. Let me give you some backdrop to this. I'm going to give you a scripture in Matthew to prove what I'm talking about, but let me give you uh, some background to this in just a second. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were the closest, his inner circle. Now, James and John were brothers. 
And their mother came to Jesus one day, as moms will, and he said, she said to Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, when your kingdom is established, can my boys sit on your right and left? Now listen, all the way up to when Jesus was crucified and died on a cross, every single one of his followers, 100% of his followers, thought he was going to have an earthly kingdom established, that he was going to raise up an army and overthrow Rome, and he was going to be the new king like David of Israel. All of them thought that, all of them. They did not understand until much later that he was establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth, not an earthly kingdom. And so she came and said, can you sit on my, on, uh, can, she, can my boys sit on your right and your left? And Jesus says in Matthew 20, 22, he says, but Jesus answered them, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? He also said in the garden when he was praying to his father, Lord, if there's any way possible, can you remove this, what, cup of suffering from me? Verse 16, let's go back to our other text. He has made me chew on gravel. That sounds like fun. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. Man, aren't you glad you tuned into the sermon today? Isn't this wonderful? Verse 19, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. Listen to what he says here. I will never forget. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over the loss over my loss. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve. The closest thing, church, that I can think of to that level of suffering is when I walk through the loss of a child with a parent. As a parent myself now, that's the the worst possible level of pain that I can imagine in this life is losing a child. I can't even fathom it. I know God gives grace in those moments, but I I can't imagine it. The first time I came face to face with that kind of suffering was when I was a 21-year-old youth pastor and one of my core group young people were killed in a car accident. Her and her best friend were killed. And I had to preach a funeral with 1,200 of her closest friends and family in that service. And that was easy compared to those quiet moments those intimate moments with her parents and with her family and especially with her mom. But even in the pain, I witnessed a grace and a mercy of God that was poured out on that family that I will never forget, especially the mother. You see, the mother walked so closely with the Lord. And I watched her closely during this whole thing, and I've never seen anything like it. The grace of God that was on her, the mercy of God, how she hosted people in her home and was gracious to people and actually encouraged other people during this time where she had lost her daughter. I'll never forget that mother's faith. It's been an inspiration to me all my life. But isn't that the way it is? 
Come on, we aren't inspired by people who are born with a, a silver spoon in their mouth and have no story, nothing they... We're inspired by people who have been through something and survived, right? We're inspired by people who have a testimony, who have a story of God's faithfulness and his mercy. That's where we're inspired. And here's our connection I want you to get today in this message. And this is on the screen. Whatever has your full attention right now is likely what God wants to use to build your faith. Let me say that again. Whatever has your full attention right now is what God wants to use to build your faith. What has your full attention right now? Probably the same thing that everybody is thinking about. This pandemic, right? But here's the thing. All of us have a personal story within the story, don't we? We all have a story within the story. This pandemic has affected each of us in different ways. So what has your full attention within the overall story right now? Is it your, is it your job? Is it your finances? Is it your health? Is it your kids? Is it your anxiety? Maybe it's your anger. What has your full attention? Whatever the details are in your life, that is most likely what God wants to use to build your faith. That is the thing that God wants to use to develop your character and to develop your faith in him, to, to help us learn, to help you learn to lean on him instead of other things. I love what C.S. Lewis writes uh, kind of about this. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There is no doubt. There is no doubt. Hey, y'all like the screen, by the way? This is new. <laughs> Isn't that great? Just noticed it. No, I'm just kidding. It's for your benefit. We're glad that it's there. Brandon and his team have done a phenomenal job upgrading each week, and we appreciate that. But I believe this is exactly what's happening right now. I believe this pandemic, I don't believe that God just caused it, but I believe he's using it as a megaphone to wake up the church, to wake up America, to wake up this world to his presence. You know, I was talking to my mom, with my mother last week, and, she, you know, one good thing about this is you, is you can watch all kinds of preachers right now, right? If you need a word, <laughs> you can watch like 20 sermons in a day. I mean, they're just all on there, and you can watch and watch and watch. She, she said, Alan, I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of great messages of encouragement, a lot of great messages to build people's faith and hope and all of that. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. We're worried about our, our, our flock. We're worried about our people. We want to encourage them, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I'm doing today. She said, Alan, I agree. I agree. They're great messages, but I'm not hearing anything about repentance. I'm not hearing anything about turning away from sin. I want to make a statement. Deliverance doesn't come without repentance. I didn't put that on the screen, but deliverance 
We're all calling for deliverance. We're all praying. We're all hoping for deliverance, right? Whatever that means in your life, in this pandemic, in your family, in your faith, we're all praying for deliverance. But I just want to remind us, as the megaphone is being blasted, in the world right now. It's God doing it. He is blasting this thing. He's getting our attention. But don't forget about repentance. Deliverance does not come without repentance. And I think we're going to unpack that in the days to come. I think we're going to look at that in scriptures like 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. We love that scripture, the end of it, especially where he heals our land, where there's a whole lot that goes in that as well. All right, I'm going to move on from that and uh, probably pick that up in a couple of weeks. But have you figured out who the mystery writer is? Have you figured out the book that he was writing? All right, right where you are, I want you to raise your hand. I know I can't see you, but just do it. Play along, play along. Raise your hand if you thought it was Job. Anybody in here? There's several? Okay. Raise your hand if you thought it, that Job is a great guess because he went through all of those things, all those pains. He lost children. He lost his land. He lost his servants, his cattle. He was a rich man. He became poor. He, his body was sick. So definitely he wrote some things like this in the book of Job, but it's not Job. How many thought it was King David writing in the Psalms? We talked about that last week. Um, you know, the lament and all of those things, which is a cry for help, a cry of sorrow, a cry of grief. And he lost, you may not know this, but he lost three boys. He lost three children to death. And one of those, Absalom, tried to take his kingdom. So can you imagine the rejection that he felt? And he, he poured his heart out to God, but it's not David either. All right, so Travis has been kind of looking at this. What are, uh, some people guess Job. Job, David. Who else? Okay. So somebody did get it correct. Who was it? Dallas Martin. Dallas Martin. You got it correct. The book is Lamentations. The writer is the weeping prophet Jeremiah. So congratulations to uh, Dallas. We're giving away a thousand dollars. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. That was very mean. We'll do something. <laughs> he gives and takes away. That was Job. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Lamentations. Uh, you know, we talked about lament last week. The Psalms, a lot of the Psalms are laments. It's, it's literally a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Well, this whole book is called Lamentations. We don't spend a lot of time in this book because it's depressing. The whole thing reads like a Greek tragedy. It's like a funeral dirge. It is very, and the reason, folks, there's a reason for that. Jeremiah was writing this in, in the rubble of Jerusalem. Fire still going from, from King Nebuchadnezzar coming in and destroying everything. After Jeremiah had been faithful to preach, uh, to preach about God and the coming judgment if they didn't turn from their wicked ways and they didn't turn from their idolatry and they didn't and, and judgment came and literally the place was wiped out. The temple was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar burned everything up. He killed hundreds of people, even children. And he took thousands as captives. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among those. That's the time period, 586 B.C. 
And Jeremiah was left with just a few others that survived. And he's sitting in the rubble, writing these words, pouring his heart out. But through it all, through it all, he never lost sight of one thing. Somebody say one thing. One thing about God that kept him going, even in this tragedy. After pouring out his anger, his sorrow, his disillusionment, his shock, we read it. I mean, you heard it. Jeremiah adds this, the very next verse, after he says, I'll never forget this grief and loss. Verse 21 says, yet I still dare to hope. Say dare to hope. I dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh or are made new each morning. Can you imagine writing that? When you look around and there are literally bodies in the street, fires in homes, the temple in his view destroyed. And he's writing, I can't forget when I remember God is faithful. His mercies are new every morning. Whatever pain you're in right now, God's steadfast love for you will never, ever cease. Every day, he has a brand new supply of mercy. We can declare with the psalmist, weeping may last for the night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. Amen? As we get ready to close, I want to give you some, some handles to this message, takeaways that you can take away uh, from this thing. In the midst of, uncertain, of an uncertain world, and we all would agree that we don't, I mean, I changed the, the day of, we, of our reopening. I pray that I don't have to change it again. This thing is uncertain. It's, it's ever evolving. It's ever moving. Every single day is different with this pandemic. That even in the midst of that and whatever it means to you, whatever level of suffering it has brought to your family and to you personally, here are three things that you can take to the bank. You can rely on today. Number one, there is mercy in the midst of pain. There is mercy in the midst of pain. There is mercy in the midst of suffering. Let me get real. Somehow, you know, in the Western, our Western-minded Christianity, we somehow, in our theology, got way off track, thinking that once we decided to follow Jesus, that we somehow were owed a life exempt of suffering. That somehow God owed us. I'm giving you my heart, Lord, so now everything needs to be just perfect. No. Now, there are people that preach something like that. And they, if you just have enough faith, then this will happen. And you'll, never, you'll always have money. You'll never get sick. You'll never do this. Nothing, da, 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 da. That is not supported in your Bible or mine. The very opposite is in there. Jesus said, you will have trouble. But what is also in the word of God, well, let me back up. 
I can answer the hardest questions that come. The hardest question in Christianity has always been and will always be, if God is a God of love, then how could he allow suffering and pain, right? How many have heard that one? From people who, who, who won't accept Christ, who, who decide not to follow Jesus, it's the number one thing. Theologians call it the problem of pain, the problem of pain. If God is a God of love and is all-powerful, then why does he allow this? It's not about him allowing anything. When Adam and Eve sinned, and sin was introduced into humanity, God created a perfect world. God created a perfect planet, perfect scenario. But when sin entered, pain and suffering came in right behind it. And what happened was it, that gave the enemy, Satan, and his demons a level of authority to wreak havoc across this world. And that is what we are seeing, the results of that thing. But the good news of the gospel is that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. The good news of the gospel is that the blood through the blood of Jesus, we can be redeemed. Our stories can be redeemed. We can be saved from our sin. But until we go to heaven or until he returns, we still live in this world. And, it's, and sin still has an effect on us. But there is, the whole point is there is mercy in the midst of pain. If we posture our heart and life towards the Father through Jesus Christ, he will never leave us. Even in the midst of the worst scenario, the worst pain, the worst suffering, we are promised that he will never, ever leave us. He will be present. His mercy will be an ever-present reality in our life. Jeremiah's story is a testament to that. That's how he was able to write those words. That mom that I was talking about that lost her daughter, her life is a testimony to the grace and mercy of God in the worst of times. There is mercy in the midst of pain. Number two, God's resources will always be enough. Somebody say amen. God's resources will always be enough. Right in the middle of his worst nightmare, Jeremiah declares that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. When I read that, and was thinking about this week as I was studying in context about God's resources and his mercy being ever-present, for some reason I thought of this picture. Will you put that up for me? I thought of that picture from 9-11 where when the dust settled and then the smoke cleared and everything was, was, you could see again, there was a cross made out of these giant beams in the middle of that rubble of 9-11. 11. Now, you can believe that that was by chance if you want to, but I choose to believe that was God's megaphone. Come on, somebody. God was speaking loudly and very clear that his mercies were present even in that moment, even in that moment. So never forget, look at this point. God promises us a fresh supply of his love and mercy every day. And that mercy, look at me, that mercy will be enough to sustain you for that day. 
You guys probably remember the Israelites, and even if you haven't been in church, you remember the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. You know, Moses led them out there, and then they rebelled, and they had to spend 40 years out there, but God took care of them, and he supplied what we call manna. It was food, just flakes that would fall out of heaven every single morning. God would supply this manna, but they couldn't store it up. They couldn't store it up. They couldn't, they couldn't keep it overnight or it would ruin. They couldn't keep it or it would go bad. They had to go out each morning and gather it new and fresh. What if we treated the mercies of God like the manna? What if, because they're new every morning, what if we went out and gathered the mercies of God into our soul, into our spirit every single morning? They're fresh every day. Folks, I know I'm a broken record. I sound like a broken record when I talk about your time with the Lord, but I'm telling you there's something life-changing about going every morning into the presence of God in this image of gathering his grace, gathering his new mercies every single day as we pray and receiving that into our system, receiving that into our bodies, receiving that into our spirit to sustain us every single day. Pastor, I can't do that. I'm just not a morning person. I can't get up any earlier than I have to. Well, then you will continue to miss out. I'm sorry to be so hard, but I'm telling you, it's called a spiritual discipline for a reason. There's something special about the mornings, giving God our first fruit of the day, getting up a little bit earlier so that we can discover the presence of God and be filled. I'm telling you, if we will do that, it's life changing. And I don't say that lightly. So number two was God's resources will always be enough. Let's gather his resources in. Let's gather his new mercies every day. And third and finally, you can stand on what you know, not just what you see. You can stand on what you know and not just what you see. So what do we know? What do we know? We know what God's words declare, what God word, God's word declares about God. We know that He is faithful because of the Word of God. We know His character because of the Word of God. We know His plan. Come on. God has an overarching plan. It's revealed from Genesis to Revelation. There's a thread of redemption from the beginning. God has a plan. It's called his redemption plan. And it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. But the good news of the gospel is if we decide to follow Jesus, we have a purpose and a part and a role to play in that plan. And that is exciting this morning. That's, that should fill you with joy this morning. Now, it may look different than you thought. You may have had expectations and, and, and a vision that turned out that God wanted you to do something a little bit different. But I promise you, if you'll be obedient to him and you will take up your cross and follow Jesus, if you will be obedient to his word, even if that, that plan and that purpose looks different than what you ever thought, I promise you, if you'll be obedient to the Lord, even if it's a difficult path, you will be blessed. You will have fulfillment in your life like nothing else. 
There's a song that I built this sermon around. It's a great hymn of our faith. You'll recognize it, most of you. But there's a great story behind this song. The the writer is Thomas Chisholm. He was born into poverty in the 1800s in Kentucky. Had no money. Family had no money. It was very difficult living. He got saved, and his only dream was to be an ordained minister, to be, to, for it to be legit. I mean, ordained and him to preach, to be able to baptize, to do communion, to be able to marry and bury, all of those things that come along with ministry. That was his dream, and he worked hard without any money. He, he, he made it. He made it through the schooling. He got his ordination, but because of his health, he was only able to serve in that capacity for about a year before he had to step down as a result of his health and he had to take a secular job, I think in insurance or something. But think about, he had aimed his whole life towards this goal and it was kind of pulled out from under him. What would you do? What would I do? The temptation would be to just throw up your hands, throw in the towel and go, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. He could care less about me. He doesn't see me. He doesn't care about me. You know, it's all a lie. It's not what he did. He got outside of himself. He saw this thing as much bigger than himself. And he began to write poems and songs to the Lord. And one of those songs, even after he was disappointed, even after he had to leave ministry, one of those songs was called Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah, listen to this. Jeremiah spent 40 years preaching to his hometown, Jerusalem. 40 years warning people about the coming judgment of God if they didn't turn from the idolatry and turn back to God. And let me, you need to hear this. Not one convert Not one person repented in 40 years of ministry. Now, I've been here at New Life for about four and a half years, about a tenth of what Jeremiah did. And thank God we've had hundreds saved here on the campus and and thousands in other countries through mission trips. I don't know what I would do (laughs) if... I preached every single week and ministered every single week and nobody came and nobody listened and nobody changed their life. Nobody prayed. Nobody did anything. Nobody repented. I don't know. He did it for 40 years and nobody repented. And judgment, as we talked about, it came in the form of of Babylon coming and Nebuchadnezzar. He was heartbroken. This wasn't like Jonah and Nineveh. Remember that story? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And then finally it took the the, the storm and the whale and all of that, and Jonah went in and and reluctantly preached to the city of Nineveh, a wicked, wicked city, half-hearted, and they turned back to God. And he got mad about it. He got mad at God for not sending judgment. This is not that situation. With Jeremiah, he loved these people. These were his people, his friends, his family. And he's in the rubble writing these things. He's heartbroken. He's distraught. But because, listen, I want you to hear me. Because he knew he had been obedient. Because he knew he was in God's will. He was able 
to write those words. And he was able to dare to hope. He was able to dare to have trust in God because he knew God was faithful. And God would bring redemption eventually out of this terrible situation. The big idea, we can have faith in God because at all times God is faithful. Let me say it again. We can have faith in this pandemic with all the issues going on. We can have faith in God because all the time God is faithful. I want to share that song with you. Before we close, I want to share this. Before we pray, I want to share this beautiful song with you. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Sing it with me. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see.
Things may look bleak. Things may, you may have lost your job. You may have been furloughed. You may not know what's going to happen when this thing clears up. We don't even know really. Yeah, we're, we're saying May 17th and all of this stuff, but we really don't know. Even, even the, the church is coming back in June, July, August. The coronavirus still going to be around. <laughs> We can't put our trust in any of the things that the world does. Even in the midst of all of this uncertainty, I'm telling you, God is faithful. And his mercies are new every morning. If Jeremiah sitting in a, a pile of rubble in Jerusalem if he can put his trust and faith in God, if he can dare to hope in God and find mercy in the midst of pain, then so can we. So can we. So can I. So can you. Because God is with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to give us strength and power. We should be the ones leading the charge. We should be the ones leading as an example to everyone else who is panicking right now. We need to be steadfast and strong in our faith because God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever think or even imagine. God is at work. I promise you, God is at work in this. And like C.S. Lewis said, let's, let's wake up. It's his megaphone to wake up the world to what? To his presence, to the reality of his presence. That's all that matters. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We give you glory and honor and thanksgiving. Thank you for your presence and your goodness. Thank you that your mercies are new and fresh every single day. God, I pray right now for those that are watching, those that are engaging online. I'm praying for each family, each man, woman, boy, and girl. I pray that you would give them strength and courage and boldness to stand. God, give us courage to, to dare to hope, even in uncertain times. God, wake up our spirit and reveal those things you are speaking to your church and to us individually. In Jesus' name.